Welcome to Halt the Harm Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Clover. And on today's episode, I'm speaking with Vera Scroggins. Vera is an award-winning environmental justice activist in Pennsylvania. She recently received the Community Sentinel Award from Frack Tracker Alliance. She's led hundreds of tours of fracking operations on the front lines in rural communities, showing people the real impacts of fracking. And because of her work, she's been a target of intimidation and has even been banned from 40% of her own county back in 2013. That included the post office, the hospital, local restaurants, even the lake shore. But Vera refuses to stop working to educate the public about the harms of fracking. I'm super stoked to share this interview with you. I had a great time talking to her. In fact, I talked to her right before she was on the way to receive the Sentinel Award. And uh, in this interview, she talks about the importance of standing up to industry and fighting back despite the discomforts and risks involved. She draws a lot of inspiration by what's happening right now at Standing Rock in North Dakota, opposing the Dakota Access Pipeline. And she'll, I'll just, let's just go right into the interview. All right. Thanks for listening. Uh, Yeah. So what can I tell you? Well, first of all, I want to say congratulations for receiving the Community Sentinel Awards. Thank uh, you. And, uh, and I've I've talked to you before because you came on Eco Defense Radio a couple years ago to share a bit of your story mm-hmm. when you were having some conflict for to sort of understate that with a Cabot Oil and mm-hmm. Gas and um, yeah. actually being banned from parts of your county, including the you know the um, post office and the you know. Mm. So well, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, how are, how are things going now? Well, uh, I'm under a less of a restrictive injunction. I was under the more restrictive one for five months, and then uh, different attorneys, civil rights attorneys, came forward and fought for my rights to have more mobility. Uh, I would like the whole injunction to be off, but. Uh, all they could do was reduce the restrictions. So now I'm under a permanent injunction for the rest of my life, as long as Cabot is alive. And I have to stay at 25 feet from their driveways, and there's about 100 driveways in my county. And I have to park 100 feet from those driveways on public roads when, I, when I'm near their driveways. And then I have to stand 100 feet away from their uh, gas sites, their developed sites, even if I'm on private property where I have permission. So it's less restrictive. So I try and work around it and make sure I obey it. So I'm not, I'm not in contempt of court. Otherwise, I'm subject to fines uh, or possibly jail. So I try and be careful obeying those uh, restrictions. And I'm the only one with those restrictions in my county and in the state of Pennsylvania as far as we know, and then possibly even uh, in the rest of the United States relating to the gas industry. Yeah, it's it's absurd. I mean, <laughs> it's absolutely absurd. And you've been, mm. you, I mean, they're yes. coming after you because you have been documenting their mistakes for years and actually leading tours and showing people the truth about the gas industry. And, 
And I guess they don't like that. I guess they don't like it. Yeah. And I've been doing, uh, conducting citizen gas tours, hundreds of them and showing them what's happening next to our homes and schools and on our farms. And they don't seem to like that. But of course they didn't use that as a reason why they got the injunction. They just said that they considered me a danger. And then they alleged that I trespassed on their driveways as I went to talk to their supervisors and ask questions. And they alleged that I was a danger to their workers and to myself and those I brought. So the judge accepted their explanation over mine. And the judge is leased to one of the gas companies in our county. And his whole family is leased to gas companies in our in our county. Wow. Yes. Yeah, so what happens when you have an industry take over, especially a toxic industry like the oil and gas industry, our rights as Americans are at risk. We could lose some of our rights. And some of us have. So I've lost some of my rights for the First Amendment, rights of movement, of speech, being able to have full mobility in my county where everybody else has mobility in public places. So this is what happens when they have such influence over the judicial system, over the elected officials, over the populace. And it's a, it's a difficult thing to deal with, but this is what's happening in the United States all over the United States. Just like now, the Native Americans are being treated poorly, disrespectfully, and, and harmed also, because they have a right, like all of us, to protest, especially if we protest um, in a way that is unarmed and without threatening harm to anyone. So they're, they're protesting. I'm also protesting. I'm showing what's going on. And instead of being protected by the government, uh, by our judicial system, by our elected officials, they are protecting instead the corporations. I, I want to learn a little bit more about you. Where Where are you from, and how you know how did your life growing up influence your actions today? Well, I I was born in Germany after the war, after World War II in 1951, to parents who were refugees from Europe, in Europe, because of the war, and because of all the fascism that was going on in Europe at the time during World War II, which was, of course, the fascism of Hitler, uh, the fascism of Stalin in Russia at some point, and then the fascism of uh, Tito, who took, was trying to take over Yugoslavia. So we had all kinds of forces like that happening. And my parents uh, were young people at the time, teenagers in, in their 20s. And they eventually, my father fought Tito in Yugoslavia. He's from there. He's Serbian. And my mother's Italian. So they eventually ended up in refugee camps after the war and met there. So I have that in my background of people who then immigrated here. My whole family, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, in 1952 or thereabouts, we immigrated here to a country where we understood or believed that this would be a country that was not fascist or fascistic, fascistic, 
that this is a free country and that it's here to protect the rights of the people. So that's where we came and we believed. And I'm finding uh, something different in my journey and in my involvement with uh, corporate America or the international corporations that they consider themselves above the law, beyond the law, and that they have superseded the law and even superseded our Constitution. So the rights that we have as Americans are extremely at risk because of this supersedence and this type of uh, attitude that we have towards corporations by our governments. Uh, so should I say a little bit more or what? Now, uh, I I was raised in Elizabeth, New Jersey, and that's an urban area that's very polluted with industry, and I could smell industry. And I was near also uh, Linden, New Jersey, next door to there, because that's also a refinery town, oil refinery. So I was raised with that, and then that was something that was very negative for me because of the air quality that was uh, toxic. I could smell the difference when I went from the urban area, that urban area to a rural area, to a suburban area, that the air quality improved immensely. Mm-hmm. So um, eventually, you know, I wanted to leave that area, which I did when I got married at 19, went to a suburban area in Nassau County, Long Island, then lived there about 20 years and had raised three children. And then um, we, my husband, my then husband, uh, retired from teaching and we moved to a rural area. And we used to visit rural areas in the summertime and I could always tell the difference. Wow, the air is so much nicer, so much cleaner, it feels better. And I wanted to have clean air and clean water. So, um Yeah. So we moved here, and then uh, you know, industry eventually came after 17 years here in the country. And then I had to uh, document that and learn about it. And then when I saw that it was also a very polluting industry, and that it hid its pollution, and did not like exposure of the negative parts of it, because it would only show its own own contrived positive parts that uh, I started to expose it and write about it and videotape it and photograph it and and take people on tours and show them the other side of what the industry was hiding. So I've been doing that since 2008. So I guess it's about eight or nine years at this point. You mentioned earlier discovering the corruption and the power Mm. that international corporations have over this country. Um, do you remember the moment when that became really clear to you? When I guess it came, I mean, I had heard about it over the decades about corruption, and then I had my own personal experience would be with uh, this industry, the gas industry in my county, and then when Cabot Oil and Gas sued me and took me to court in 2013, that's when I started to see it firsthand in the judicial system and in the the whole government system, in the local government, started to see more of these corrupt corruption cracks in the system. 
And it was, uh, it's been basically shocking, one shock after another. I saw a judge who is basically pro-gas, leased to the industry, and does not recuse himself, and basically does primarily what the industry asks him. And I am not afforded full justice or a full hearing because of that. Mm-hmm. So um, then I see the elected officials that are basically allowing this industry to run rampant. And then when the citizens cry to them, and many have, that we're being harmed and things are happening, then uh, they basically turn a deaf ear to it or don't want to see the full picture because then they might have to act. And and basically the governments are just pushing jobs and they they don't want to know or think that the jobs are harming people whether harming the workers or harming the residents. And that's more of the corruption, the corruption of not willing to see the whole picture and not willing to hear the residents. Like right now, I went to a meeting last night. I go to a lot of uh, township meetings, county meetings, and videotape also meetings to show what's happening. And last night, it was another example where uh, a CNG, compressed natural gas, terminal wants to come into our rural county, our rural area, and be right next to homes within 300 feet or so, 400 feet of homes, and build this whole station, which is going to have tractor trailers coming in on the hour, 24-7, three compressors on the site that are going to bring in, take out raw gas from the pipeline on this 10 acres, and compress it and possibly dehydrated to some degree and under 3,600 PSI pressure uh, feed it into the tractor trailers. And those tractor trailers are going out of our county to deliver this compressed gas. So it looks like, you know, we basically have mostly no zoning in in our rural areas and and in my county. And so at this point, you know, there's all kinds of concerns and outrage. And now we have this latest part of the industry developing and the people are trying to do what they can to protect themselves. And the legislators are saying, you know, we basically can't do anything to speak of. And they privately may tell us that they agree with us, but they, they will not do more than just say it's not within our power. We don't have the power. So to me, that's not enough. You don't have the power, but can you also publicly say your concerns? Can you publicly denounce this? Can you publicly show your outrage? Can you go to the higher-ups in legislature and to the media and say what is going on here instead of just accepting it? So it reminds me a lot of uh, my background, you know, my family coming out of World War II in Europe that was overrun by Nazis besides other fascists. And they people basically, for the most part, accepted things. They didn't want to publicly denounce and fight with in any way they could. Like the Native Americans are, to me, the best example of fighting and denouncing. They're not saying, Native Americans now in North Dakota, they're not saying, oh, I'm powerless. I can't do anything. It's not within my power. And then I'm also, like our officials say, we're afraid of being sued. The natives don't say any of that. They'll say, well, 
my government's not helping me. They're, we went to the government. They're not responding. Then we have to do what we need to do. So we will go up there and we will block the trucks and the machinery. We will jump over the fences and say, no, you cannot come on this land. You cannot do what you think you're going to do. They are willing to do what they need to do to protect themselves and to stop the harm that is being projected towards them. So that's the difference. The Native American's style and response and the average American in our government and even in Europe during World War II and probably maybe now too, it depends to what degree, are not willing to take that extra step are not willing to do that. Instead, they say, okay, I can't do it, and then let this happen. So they're letting one intrusion, toxic intrusion, happen in our county and all the other counties in Pennsylvania and all over the United States, and they're letting one intrusion happen after another, one toxic project after another, which is um, has all kinds of toxic emissions. It's degrading our air, degrading our water, degrading our health degrading our safety. So that's because no one will take that extra step and say, no, you can't do this. Mm -hmm. We, the people have said, no, we, the people say, no, this is a government of the people and for the people. That's what they teach us. But when it happens, the reality is usually doesn't seem to fit that. Mm. Except now I'm starting to see with the native Americans, they're willing to fit that model. We, the people, this is a, uh, we are the government. It is for us and is by us. And they're not going to wait for their officials who, when I talk to them privately, they're all afraid about being sued. They're afraid of losing their jobs. They're afraid of losing their pensions. So they're all compromised. They, we cannot rely on them. They have, they're totally compromised because of what strictures they have placed themselves under. They are under the burden of jobs, money, pensions, economic safety. They want to hold on to their economic safety and let all this happen around them. Mm -hmm. And whoever gets harmed gets harmed. Mm -hmm. It's so hard to break free from this unsustainable society. The, the entire economy is based on, on fossil fuels and it's hard to break free from it because we're so invested in it. Well, we're also invested in the concept. We're also invested in the concepts that we are powerless, that we cannot stop anything, that it's somehow bigger than us. And we're also invested in concepts that we want to save our bank accounts. We want to save our jobs and pensions above all else. Mm. So mm -hmm. if everything goes to pot around us, so be it, because we want to hold on. That's our investment. We want to hold on to that which we value more. So at some point, we have to make a decision, like the natives have made, and they and others, they have said, my water, my air is more precious, more valuable than my bank account, my job, my car, my pension. You know, that's, that's, the, that's the thought. That's the angle. This is interesting, you know? too, because it's... It's hard to, uh, for some people, they might not be motivated to stand up for air quality or water quality because it's not, they're like, oh, well, you know, if, if I have enough money, 
then I can just move or something like that. It's, so it mm-hmm. seems like it, the the underlying issue is like an individualistic approach versus a collective approach because you really have to be caring for you know not only yourself but for future generations and for your entire community mm-hmm. and not not even just your community but other communities too in order to fight for these bigger issues, especially things like climate change, because climate change is so um, dire and and urgent of a problem, yet so many people seem comfortable in knowing that they could maybe move away from the impacts of it, or maybe they could just, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it just, uh, you know, isn't going to affect them as bad in their lifetime. It'll affect their, their children. And they sort of just place that burden on, on everybody else. So it mm-hmm. seems like you're really asking us to shift to more collective thinking. Yes, and I think the Native Americans, I thank them very much at this point, they are shifting the thinking just from their actions right now, which are becoming worldwide. And you're talking about Standing Rock. Yes, I'm talking about there. Standing Rock. What's happening in Standing Rock in North Dakota right now is a major uh, shift in what people can do and what is possible for people to do in the face of toxic corporations that are have, are looming over us and have taken over the whole country, basically. So, And the idea that money is more important, that we have this change of values, and the Native Americans of Standing Rock, with over 200 tribes that are supporting them, are taking that leap, that leap into this new awareness and empowerment and saying that, yes, we will, we will protect and defend the earth. We will protect and defend the water, the air, and future generations and all of us now so that we do not become poisoned by industries that think it's okay or won't even admit to it that they are poisoning the environment so they can make their profits and live for the for today and not for the future also so it's uh, i think it's an amazing shift and story right now going on in standing rock and the whole world is watching and the whole world is seeing in one day they had over 10 million hits on that one particular video, as well as others, but that one video where they, the natives unarmed were attacked by attack dogs and pepper spray by the security for the pipeline company. So that in itself has been so outrageous, and that has had so many people see that, and it's causing a major rift in the situation that is happening now, the way people live, the way they act, what they are willing to accept, what they are willing not to accept. So it's all this is now, the picture is now become all shaken up so that something new can come through. And hopefully it'll be more empowerment for the majority of the people, for the whole planet and protection and defense of the earth and the planet and that we no longer sacrifice life for material goods, sacrifice life for profit Mm -hmm. for the few in particular. Profit for the few and then profits for those uh, who are willing to go along with the program 
And so something has to has to majorly shift, and I think it's happening right now. So that's exciting. Have you always been concerned about environmental issues? I would say so. I would say I, I have been that I was. I've always been interested in um, nature and keeping it there and clean and and not to harm it or poison it and to keep it uh, organic and and to take care of it and take care of ourselves to eat uh, better food and not to poison ourselves with the even the food that is given to us in the supermarkets, uh, especially all this food that's very heavily laden with sugar and artificial colors and preservatives and other chemicals that we're being beans to eat and, you know, being influenced somehow to ingest. So, yeah, I've been conscious of that since uh, a young age. And so this is the culmination of it. Do you have any hopes for the larger environmental movement right now? I think I I would say I do. I see a lot of uh, cracks in the uh, corporate structure. So especially even now with Standing Rock. So I would say in the economics also, the, the corporate structure has uh, been losing profits for the past year and a half, tremendous amount of profits. And so something is uh, giving away. And we'll see where it goes, you know, what, what we actually will birth in in the days and months and years ahead of us if we can somehow survive the damage that's been done to the earth. We have to no longer sacrifice the earth, the mother, the feminine, and to respect that part of ourselves. And uh, that needs to be done in order to survive as a planet, in order to survive as a species. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we will become extinct, just like we're making uh, upwards of 200 species a day extinct on the planet because of our, basically, our poisoning and toxic actions Mm -hmm. that we do every day in all kinds of ways, from so many industries and so many ways to, how many ways can you poison the planet? How many ways can you pollute the planet? There's so many uh, ways that we are doing it. So we have to become conscious of saying no more. Now we have to respect and love the planet as it's something precious because we need, everything needs, it's all interdependent. We all need clean air, clean water, um, safe environment, healthy environment, healthy soil. So. This is where I'm at right now. Well, thank you so much, Vera, for for coming on the podcast. And you're welcome. Take care, Ryan. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Halt the Harm podcast. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Vera Scroggins. And that concludes our three-part series with um, guests who are recipients of the Community Sentinel Awards from Frack Tracker Alliance. You can find out more about Frack Tracker and all the amazing services that they provide at fracktracker.org. Also want to thank Halt the Harm Network. This is Halt the Harm Podcast, after all. And I just want to encourage all of you listening, if you're not already part of the network, to check out haltheharm.net and just browse through some of the services that are provided to members of the network. 
It's truly incredible. We can really help each other when we connect and when we network and when we leverage the various tools and skills and talents that we all bring to the table in this struggle to halt the harms of fracking. This is also a collaboration with Eco Defense Radio, a local program from Community Radio WRFI in Ithaca, New York. You can find out more information about them and listen to the Eco Defense Radio news program at ecodefenseradio.org.